right, hello and welcome everybody to the first episode of 2022, actually episode number 26 of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm here with Kai again, and yeah, we're going to get this thing kicking off. We took a little break for a while with the holidays and all the the animal craziness. Um, That being said, Kai, how are you? Hey man, not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, Got a lot going on here as well, just uh preparing bracing myself for everything coming um i think we have pomona coming in another what two weeks roughly and then um yeah all the stuff in between making sure we uh get prepared and all that stuff like that um i essentially have babies um that are coming and going a little bit uh still hatching out some stuff i have like a kimberly clutch left that's ready to hatch any day now i think um and uh yeah for the most part just uh i thought i was gonna be able to save most of the stuff for the pomona show but honestly uh everybody's been been buying i guess so going too quick um, huh yeah currently all out again for another couple months i guess um a yeah, horrible man. problem <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's just gonna be a kimberly less table um but you know, you got you got a bunch of stuff going on as well, right? Uh yeah, here and there. There's so let's see, just recently hatched out the sand monitors and the last clutch of Ackies. Um, so I have a lot of Ackies to bring to Pomona. Oh, that's the other thing, of course, uh getting ready for Pomona. So get to go down there and, and hang out with Kai and uh the guys from sim so looking forward to that also looking forward just to meeting people out there so if you're listening to this and uh, you want to stop by say hi um please do you know introduce yourself because i'm not gonna know whose name and handle goes together so (laughs) be patient with me as i catch up uh, just tell me your handle or or the conversation that we had right right that's also another big one for me i'm like who are you and then then um I, I remember a lot of conversations and so uh more so than faces and names and all that stuff like that same thing i do the exact same thing yeah or even what you're keeping rather than uh, anything yeah yeah or why you're here animals yeah <laughs> yeah or why you're um, here but you know I'm, I'm looking forward to it i really want to meet a lot of people while i'm down there and um you yeah. know talk reptiles be in the element feel it out uh so it's, last year uh you know, or not? Well, I guess it's last year, but it was the show in August, October-ish, right? Yeah. Where um, me and Sim did that last uh, the Anaheim show. Um, I had so much work that time, right? I think it's just the whole craziness, everybody getting back into the show. Not only was the show busy, but the amount of work that me and Lynn had to do on top of you know everything else, I didn't really get to mingle. Um, and you know say what's up to people unless they came to the table right and then even that was pretty brief so this year or this show um honestly i don't know what the stock is going to look like for grasshoppers yet because um i I honestly am just eyeballing at the very best right so i won't really have a great number until the show but this year i'm going to be doing a little bit more mingling probably going around i'm probably doing some some uh, inexpensive shopping too where i can get like you know cheap bulbs and cheap cork and cheap soil yeah. rather than paying full price and having to shipped uh, which i'm typically doing now but 
um you know it's good to see bulbs for three dollars and and um blocks of dirt <laughs> for a couple of dollars you know so yeah, I typically uh, stock up on those. I didn't last last year, so that I was kicking myself in the foot when the show was over because I didn't have anything that I should have gotten. So I ended up having to buy all of it um, and just have it shipped through Amazon or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, don't be like me. Make sure you give yourself some time, even if it's an hour or two, to go take care of yourself. You know, I'm kind of just the uh, tunnel vision and work. You know, especially with the stuff at the table and all that stuff like that. So. I'll give but you yeah, a break, man. Kai. You can uh, tag out and go make the run. <laughs> yeah, I know. Go get everything what, you need. See what great deals there are. Uh, not, right. not, also, I'm really kicking myself in the foot because um, Nick uh, Lillis uh, came came back to our booth. It was like, yo, this guy was just selling a pair of Kilbaras. Um, oh, man. For, for really cheap, really cheap. And that female ended up being Gravid, I guess. Oh, um, man. So, you know, score all in all where, dang, I totally missed out on that one. But right. it was great, great for Nick, right? Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, you know, things like that I wish I can capture or or grasp before before the show. We have VIP and everything, but basically didn't even use it at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, got, just got to, I mean, it was busy. It was me and, me and Lynn had to redo um, the organization for the booth because we went from one or two tables to like five tables. Right. Oh man. And then, so that, 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 that was all, that took a lot of time. Um, and then setting up for all that too. So yeah, yeah it's, um, really tough, man. But, um, for all the people that are listening now and that may listen to this episode before the show, stop by and say, what's up. And Please do. Yeah. Let us know who you are. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll be, so yeah, um, man. I'll be bringing the the Ackies and some some pythons down the Brettles pythons, nice. Um, maybe a few other odds and ends. Um, You're keeping all the Flavarufus for now. I I'm pretty positive they're staying. One to just kind of protect and insulate myself for the project going forward. Um, I should been... bring a male for show. Yeah, or I know. You should but bring it's just... a, a a little baby for show, a little baby male for show. I might bring I might bring them down for show because um, they're awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll work it out. Um, I don't know. Maybe Alex is bringing some because I know they have some also. Um, yeah. So I'll try to talk to him, coordinate with him, so people can see. Kind of, you know, when it, when you see it with your own eyes and hands on, um, it makes a big difference. And if you can see an adult male, it's just I hate shipping adult animals, but sometimes it's worth it so people can see okay this is what an adult is the size the weight the uh the mass of that certain animal you know yeah yeah so they get a good I, idea of what they're dealing just, with just like water monitors or something like that people are they see the 10 inch 12 inch baby and don't right. realize in in uh six to eight months maybe even a year that little thing is going to be four feet long you know right um and that's just the first year Yep. So, yeah, same thing with uh, most of these other things. You know, they end up a pretty good size. And so accommodating space um, is, a, is, a, is a big key factor for the people that think, you know, down the road a little bit where right. it's not just an impulse buy. It's something that they're going to have to, um, I, I would say, modify and reorganize your house. Uh, I just did a post where, um, you know, uh, your kitchen and your living room and your dining room is overrated. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see so, that. <laughs> so it's it's okay to fill all that space up with uh, big monitor cages like myself right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got uh, cages in the baby cages in the kitchen, and I have the the, the centralian in the kitchen, and that centralian, dude, it, it, my kitchen gets sixty degrees, maybe fifty yeah. on a cold night, right? And it's just sitting on top of a monitor cage. I know that bottom probably gets a good 80, which is perfect for that snake, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, man, it's it does great on cold residual heat. Um, yep. Without without having – I thought it was going to have, like, respiratory issues or basically not eat at all. It's right. it's on point. It's on point, like, every week. Yeah, that's what I, – yeah. I, they're my favorite. They're just so tanky. They're so hardy. Um, yeah. You know, especially for lizard keepers, if you ever want to venture into a snake, I mean, the face of a carpet python, or you can't really say it's a carpet python, but a still similar face, um, is just amazing. It looks like a dragon, and they have this snake in red. And yeah. I was done. I was done. Love at first sight with these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my favorite color combos on reptiles is the reddish and grayish tones. Yep. Got a, got a yeah, got a great outcrop look. Yep. Um, but yeah, man, back to the monitors, uh, real quick. Uh, I ended up having, um, my frustrations over the last, I guess I would say November, end of November, December. And then now, um, I recently just had a female lay, uh, female Kyle and monitor lay in, um, what was it? The fourth. Yeah. Late on the fourth, but I was worried about this animal for like, months I, yeah. I don't know what it was doing it, it, it seemingly it was developing follicles right it bred laid once and then i waited for it to recoup and it was bounced back like within a week or two had the male with it again and then it laid another clutch which was the one we're just waiting about now um i was kind of iffy on it i, I really I'm trying and testing new stuff out, you know, trying to figure out, oh, man, why this this female just laid? Why is she still so pudgy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I uh, threw the male right back into her. It seemed like she had a quick bounce back without any issue, right? And so um, I then had to wait for a little while, and she kept on digging and digging and throwing soil and throwing soil. And then maybe at the middle or end of December, um couple weeks passed by and i thought she was going to get egg bound because she just was relentless on digging but not having this the spot and not choosing the spot now the reason why um <clears throat> i'm kind of talking about this is because i went from nest building and nest boxes and just uh you know a little bin in the enclosure with a heat pad on it some way or another right and then um now i have in floor cage cage nesting so it's no yeah. longer a bin it's a whole section of a, of a cage and um it's probably a good three by three by about 20 inches tall and it's just filled all the way to the brim with with uh moist sandy soil more soil than sand sorry uh more sand than soil mm -hmm. and so uh, it's probably a good 70 to 80 percent sand and um only so much soil um the soil kind of holds it together gives it that look but the sand, um, when moisture is in it, it actually doesn't create like a mud, right? Right. Um, and so it actually holds a little bit better, but it dries out pretty fast. 
So I have like leaf litter and pieces of plywood and stuff like that on top of it just to kind of keep it more stable within temperature. Yeah. Um, but man, adding moisture to that and everything like that, um, it was a little tricky at first. I kind of had just my one PVC sleeve. Now she would dig, dig in and around that, but she wasn't digging that enough. So I, I'd say that, that that PVC sleeve for large volumes just wasn't cutting it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for small volumes, like something one by one or something two by one even, no problem. But this was like three by three by something else. So it's almost triple the amount of soil available to heat up. And I ended up uh, having to add a, a, another supplemental heat pad underneath the whole enclosure, basically right in between the dolly and the cage. And so that way um, it, it heated up the bottom as well. Nice. Um, I've always went with bottom before, but this time I was going through side because I thought maybe it'd radiate a little bit better. But it seems to do a lot better in honing in their spot because they're going to go deep down. Yeah. I mean, 20 inches of soil and she'll still to the bottom within 30 30 seconds of digging you know she's just right down to the bottom um i would go and check i even came back on the third that night time when i was in san diego came back that night and i was like all right i'm leaving leaving to go back home to go hang out and basically get my mind off of the whole tunnel vision and hyper focus right and just to kind of less stress on myself i'm no longer hovering over the lizards when i came home dug up the whole thing that she basically buried back in um to find nothing mm-hmm. right i think we had that conversation and then um <laughs> yeah i remember and then, <clears throat> and then just that the next morning well i'm not even really paying attention i go to check and there she is digging and then laying right above that that heat that heat pad um so that heat pad probably made the that section right there a good 90 88 85 degrees give or take it's like she's like maybe not directly on the heat pad but maybe off to the side a few inches gotcha but right in that that honed in area where i had the pad and she dug right down to it and it wasn't until i put that pad there until she felt comfortable so you know um going with a lot of the new beginners that are looking to use in-floor soil heating um i've had to readjust or or critique some people's setups when they ask me about oh how does this look um, honestly, it looks fine, but at the same time, um, you'll have to run your temperatures, you know? Right. So there's a lot of things that come into play that I think some people aren't really paying attention to. And, uh, it is surface temperature that people aren't paying fully attention to. Yeah. Now your ambient in your room may be one thing, but the cold floor and everything like that could be a disadvantage or advantage in some cases. Now. Uh, a disadvantage would be like you're expecting it to be 80 degrees and develop your humidity for you, but the cold floor snatches the heat from it, basically absorbing the heat. Oh, yeah. Um, and then making that soil volume with water and everything in it cold. And then it basically doesn't develop enough humidity. And or if they need a, uh, a section for laying because the soil needs to be a good 80 degrees mid 80 degrees even 84 86 that's what most monitors lay at most reptiles actually lay at that temperature um and so you know it's good for for you to pay attention to that part um some of the advantages like myself when it's really really hot cages end up being on the floor 
um, when it's 110 here or 100 and how, however, or even 90 something degrees. Um, my floors that are touching the, the cage bottoms um, basically make that bottom section 70 degrees, 80 degrees. But let's say it feels elevated off the floor and then just dealt with ambient heat and everything like that. Heat gets to go in between the floor and the cage. Mm -hmm. um, the cage actually gets a lot hotter. <clears throat> For my guys, they don't really like all of the heat. They need that 70 degrees as well as all the heat. So for an advantage, most of my cages are now on the floor rather than being up onto dollies or lifted up or anything like that. And um, even right now, during wintertime, the cold floor is about 60 degrees. Um, perfect, because once the cages are fully 80 degrees and the cold floor, the balance is almost perfect where the, the bottom of the cage is 70s and low 80s and stuff like that, rather than always being hot. Um, this equates to my males having more fertility rather than being so burnt out and hot. Yeah, um, my males basically sleep at 70 degrees, sleep at 65, or they they'll go to it rather than always wanting to be somewhere hot. So <clears throat> something beneficial, something to think about when you're doing in-floor cage nesting options. That's basically what I mean by that is just, you know, the bottom of the cage rather than having it secured in a bin or something like that designated. Um, yeah, so it's, it's good. Good things to think about. Um Adding a heat supplement, um, what heat cable, cane mats, uh, screwed to the side of the cages, or even on the bottom in this case, um, things like that will help you heat up the, the bottom section and then overall balancing out the humidity. Now, all of these things kind of um, started off with just nesting options, right? But the whole base of your cage if that soil area was heated you wouldn't have to spray the cage as much because the humidity derived from that bottom naturally will rise and then create its own humidity balancing out the enclosure but let's say if you had a dry bottom and then no supplemental heat at the base and it's essentially dry there isn't there is no moisture coming up um, you will then have to add some fogger or mister or humidifier some right. way to balance out that thing. Now, for for instance, Kimberly rock monitors or I would say uh, even my even my mangroves, me oversaturating it to over for the compensation of lack of humidity adds too much water. And then adds too many wet surfaces, then leads to bumblefoot and infections and and other stuff like that. While the cage should have been dry, surface on surface temperatures. While I mean surfaces while they're climbing, and things like that. So when you're adding extra humidity or trying to add water, because most people equate humidity with you know the water. Obviously, the heat and water together make humidity, but it's not just always about spraying and utilizing just just water okay you end up with more wet surfaces than you need and then that also is as is offset balance as well so for me the whole cage bottom heated soil that's moist 
de develops its own humidity, has a better balance, and then it keeps you from having to adjust so much by adding extra water. Now, some enclosures are going to need a little spike, but we get this question all the time. What's the best humidity percentage? And there isn't one. There's 10 choices, really. Yeah. Uh, from when um, from when you're at 30 to 50%, right? And you're utilizing the basking area. And that's where it's going to be the driest because obviously the lamps are drying it out. Naturally, when animals are basking in the wild, they're technically dehydrating slowly as well. So um, that area will be 30 to 50%. And then you have somewhere maybe mid-range in your cage. Those would be more like 60 and 70%. And then when you are into burrows, into nesting options, or deep down in soil or in some type of nook and cranny, those areas are typically a lot higher in humidity. And those are the options that you want. You don't want to just, I'd say, trouble yourself or stress yourself over making the whole enclosure 80% because that's kind of a lot. Right. Um, to have the whole enclosure that high all the time. Um, and uh, what I experienced myself is for, say, the Kimberleys again, um, and even the mangroves as well. Anything over 80 to 90% humidity within the whole enclosure, um, they are more likely to end up with bumblefoot and or infections in the feet and tail right. or things like that. Well, they're just blisters, water blisters over waterlogged scales, basically catching too much dampness, and they're not able to dry. Um, I had that a couple issues with a couple baby Kimberleys in this previous clutch where I, I thought I had the right thing going. And I did at one point, but what it, what happens was the humidity in some of our enclosures doesn't have a, a, a chance to escape somewhat or yep. so it doesn't get to dry. And so it just circulates the humidity and then it catches onto the wall, goes right back down and then saturates the soil. Yep. That's what naturally, naturally what happens in your enclosure if it doesn't get to vent well enough. And some of these enclosures that I have, vent very little other than the little gap in between the glass or maybe some seams that you can peer through but for the most part it's escape proof because communities yeah. are escape artists <clears throat> so i have a little latch and some of the seams breathe but that's not enough maybe for a little bit of air transfer is fine but not enough to release humidity so i've had to switch a couple cages around now those kimberleys are sitting in a exoterra that has a uh, glass fronts and somewhat of a vented top. I've kind of modified it a little bit, but for the most part, it's only 60% humidity now. Right. And then it's drier a little bit. And then when I spritz it, let's say if I needed to kind of just do a quick little quick jolts, nothing crazy where you're going all over the cage. You're just in there and then you're out. That's it. Um, that draws the humidity up a little bit and then it evaporates. That's what you, what you want in your enclosures as well. So sometimes the dense humidity is also bad for some cases now. Um, so yeah, man, I, I don't know what you've experienced, but <laughs> my headaches, my headaches. I'm going through all of that right now. So <clears throat> with over the um, late summer into fall, putting that loft back together and uh, well, it's it mainly fall, <laughs> September and getting it ready for the, the Indonesian imports, 
Um, now I'm really happy with how it turned out up there, putting this basically little greenhouse loft in there. Um, and I'm on the schedule where if I fill up the humidifier and I spray every two to three days, like a light topical spraying, it keeps the humidity up there um, pretty good. Even if we hit the mid thirties here uh, at night, if I can heat up the, if I can get that room heated up and the humidity up during the day, it holds through the next day. If I start slacking, I find out that it starts getting really dry and a lot cooler in there. It'll drop 10, 15 degrees in there real quick. And it's hard to then get that. It's almost like I got to jog in place and, and uh, use my own body heat, start moving around up there. And it actually does bring up the temperature um, <clears throat> or add in different bulbs um, to help bring up that temperature just in that, that room up there. So while this is going on and I'm figuring this out, I have the rest of the warehouse that the humidity and ambient temperature is dramatically lower because I've now separated these rooms. So any shared heat or shared humidity that I used to have in the past yeah. is now gone because I have that walled off or plastic wall basically. So it's trapping it up there, which is great. But, uh, my, my baby setups, um, they have, like you said, very limited ventilation, almost none at all. And there's instances where they work great, but with separating this room. And so the humidity and the ambient is a lot lower. It's just like you said, with a little ventilation because of the heat and the, the moisture in the dirt, the humidity is just building or the water is just building up on the sides and on the lid of the baby setups. So now this is just keeping everything wet to the surface. And it was not a problem in most of the cages. There was one baby setup that was on the second shelf, the way I have it on a rack. Um, that was above another baby setup that I did not have lights on. And because of that, just that little boost of um, radiating heat from that light setup, um, it changed the temperatures in this one enclosure. So the honest truth is because of that, I started having some toe problems and tail problems and I kicked myself in the butt um, because I, I, I feel like, yes, I know this, but as I'm making these changes to the warehouse, I have to take every little thing. It's constantly learning. Take every little thing into consideration as yeah. far as um, the balance. <laughs> yeah. The, it's, and it's a fine balance, you know, just because that lower, that lower um, um, bin didn't have its lights on, it changed the temperatures for the bin up above it. And I'm running the, this whole level like they're the same but they weren't because the other bins did have cages beneath them that boosted up the temperature underneath them. Not as much condensation on everything. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's still, it's still learning as I make adjustments. Um, and like you said about the heated nest bins or whole cage nesting that's heated. Um, I'm kind of right there right now with some things, but where I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on my decision-making is because I can add, is that your cat making a guest appearance again? Yeah. <laughs> On cue. <laughs> uh, no. Everybody's cat. I'm recording. Cat, uh, or Kai's cat, everybody. <laughs> uh, I can yeah. add an attitude too. <laughs> yeah. She's um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
with the whole cage nesting and heating that, you know, I could go ahead and drop some cash and try to get the, like the cane heat mats or some other heat mat in all these cages. Or should I just wait a couple months till the temperatures naturally start coming up? Because I think they'll balance out to where I want them going into spring and then it'll be more of a job to cool yeah. them off in the summer. So for, for me, are these just like two, three month heat mats that I'll be using only to yeah. remain off for the rest of the year, you know? Yeah. For me so. there, it really just depends. So right now they're on obviously. Um, and, but what I do is I start off when it starts to get warmer, I turn off the other supplemental heat bulbs, mm-hmm. have that one or two basking lamp. And then the heat mat actually balances out the cold side. And so it kind of gives a good, a good gradient still when that's on. But then um, I'll turn, I'll end up turning it off like summertime because the whole room will just be really hot. Even the floor will be 75, 80 degrees. So I'll have to really play it by ear. If the, if the area that it sits on is just so cold, then obviously I won't be using it. Right. Uh, um, yeah. So it's 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 pretty tough because um, what I have to do is just measure measure temperatures every day. Right. Um, I, I went through and did a bunch of nest bin checks because a lot of my animals are throwing me off this year. Not not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I did. I, I'm throwing myself off a little bit. Uh, I think anybody that's been paying attention to what I'm doing, I'm trying to do Southern Hemisphere and northern hemisphere on different animals um, to see what works the best and really it's just uh cooling them down in the summertime where it's kind of it seems like a hard feat to do but i only have one lamp on rather than having the normal setup because it's summertime it's been so already hot around here um and so what i've done is uh i just um adding uh man um Sorry, brain fart just a little bit. <laughs> uh, what was I Northern, saying? Northern summit. Hemisphere, oh, yeah. Um, uh... <laughs> uh, so summertime, I'm really, uh, I was doing the normal before, a couple years before this. I'd been doing normal things, but this summer, um, kept it pretty simple. And then instead of adding a ton of food like I would normally do, they were kept very lean this summer. And then when it started to get into the rainy season and things like that, because it's been raining a lot here and a lot more fog and a lot more mist, basically creating more humidity naturally in the air. Um, my animals have been breeding like crazy. Most nice. of them, the stuff that's been breeding and was doing stuff in the summertime has taken a little chill pill. So I haven't been doing a ton with them, but now that they had their, they're 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 cooling from i'd say october november december they're basically getting back into gear now so my kimberly's are are into gear now and i'm just going through their bottoms of their cages making sure that the soil has been turned saturated with enough water to hold burrows that they like there is a nest bin but there's also ample amount of soil in there Mm -hmm. so that way i can get this female to to not reabsorb if she doesn't like the nesting option now i've know i've seen her nest before she always takes forever though so <laughs> maybe i'm hoping to see something where she's done within a night sometimes she's down for three days oh, wow. so um yeah maybe she doesn't like it she's digging around and around 
um, just going through, you know, doing a little finger test, uh, kind of digging way deep down, making sure the soil says 84, 82, even 88 degrees in some spot is okay. Um, but yeah, that's where, uh, that's where I'm double checking right now. Um, and then I have animals that have been eating a ton these last few months. Now I'm going to be giving them their relaxed time. So, um, animals that I've been pounding for what I'd say September, September, October, November, and even part of December, I was feeding them really well to see what they do. Um, they ended up just getting fat. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just going to be now shutting them down. I've already refused to feed them so much. Went from everyday feedings roughly to now only two to three times a week. And then once we get into, I'd say mid-January or almost end of January, I'll only feed them once a week until April, March or April. Yeah. And just do maintenance feeding, see how I can get it to get get, get them going. Um, but man, it seems like a lot of animals have been responding more better to the summer cool down rather than the winter cool down hmm. um, so that means they like the southern hemisphere uh uh get up rather than the north the northern hemisphere which a lot of us are more used to doing and that northern hemisphere one is when we're cooling them down colder months of the year and bring them up either some people are bringing them up early around now some people wait until february and march to bring them up most snake people are bringing them up now because they only need a couple months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, something something to think about. Not everybody is doing this. A lot of people just think that they can just heat and feed all these monitors and they'll just all breed. It's not the case. If that were the case, then we'd be breeding every species that we have. But <laughs> right. It, it, yeah, it's not a uh, not not the case for some of these animals that are just proving to be more difficult. Right. Um, so. So if you guys are listening to this and you're not having the best of luck, try something new. I am <sighs> seeing um, some activity between certain animals. So the for my own purposes right now, I have um, some stuff upstairs, but I move the the Kims upstairs uh, along with the Indonesian dwarfs. Um, so I I'm starting to see some breeding action. Uh, it's easy with the Kims because they stay out and kind of, you know, let me peek in. Um, the Indonesian dwarfs, they all scatter. So uh, it's a little tougher to catch them. I have to, you know, sneak in the room almost just to look yeah. in their cages. Um, so I'm hoping some things from them. My uh, my sand monitor female, she's showing some signs I've, I've seen before, but we'll see how it goes. Um so, but for most things, you know, it's, it's in that position that I was talking about where the cage, the, uh, nesting sites are, are pretty cold at the moment. So <clears throat> I'm, a, I, me, <laughs> they usually show me that I'm wrong somehow, but uh, yeah. I, I expect them to, you know, start in the spring more. So I don't mind. Cause I kind of talked about giving them a break and they're in that position now where they're basically getting a, a seasonal break. Um, so I, Inch, Kaizo, for the listeners, Kai's over there fighting with a cat. So <laughs> I, I think the cat's winning. Um, <laughs> yeah, the cat wants attention, man. It's just weird. I'm recording right now. What do you want from me? <laughs> Ugh, my, for all the cat people yeah. out there, they're like, yeah, that's a cat. I never knew I'd be a cat person until 
Until ballerina here, man. Oh, oh on a side note, while we're going on a tangent about things, um, the Earl Grey macaroons, I, I'm kind of exp- – I'm not going to ask directly, but, I mean, if they showed up at the show for someone to try, I would not be opposed to it. Uh, yeah, I've man. Some- <laughs> go to go to, go to to some Korean market or H Mart or something like that. Yeah. And uh, bring us uh, two dozen Earl Grey macaroons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 nah, those look those so are, good yeah uh, those are my those are my thing yeah i want to try i've never tried them so i'm, I'm looking forward to maybe having one um <clears throat> but i guess back to uh the reptiles yeah that's kind of what's going on oh i did i did get a couple of things recently so i got one of those um uh little cable camera lights it's got oh, like yeah. 15 foot of cable and so yeah. If anything gets stuck in and like, I think they're stuck in the freezer or stuck in a wall somewhere, you know, I can actually yeah. now snake that in there and uh, take a look around. So it's more like um, for my own Dude. purposes, ease of mind. Some of my customers need that. I swear uh, half of my customers end up losing the mangrove monitors that they, that, that I send them yeah. the very first day, the very first day, <laughs> like they're, cause they, you know, they, they play dumb and, yeah, most of the most of the uh the 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 new keepers are kind of unaware of that you know they think oh it's nice it's just chilling right but more so it's just frantically thinking about how it's going to escape you but it's it's playing possum right oh yeah and then uh then they take off on all these people and get lost the first week of 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 their care um i have a few random people that are just uh you know just followers and uh, in the mangrove world and um they're like hey how do i how do i how do i find my monitor lizard uh, i don't know it you just look <laughs> everywhere everywhere yeah like everywhere you can you can have this i've had one time a monitor scale the wall right and it's yeah the wall isn't really scalable but there's some texture that they can kind of grasp on right right and they ended up behind the clock and that clock, I, I was walking by the clock, and it was just off, offset from the wall just a little bit. And I realized there's a fucking lizard back there. <laughs> um, so the people that are, you know, losing monitors, any species, man, I find them in the weirdest places. Uh, yeah. In my clothes, uh, laundry. If you have a couch that has seams and creases in, in between that. Um, oh, yeah. Refrigerators. Yeah, I've had a dismantle a couple refrigerators before just because i thought it was in there right and um you know it wasn't it wasn't actually but but uh rip to those refrigerators um but yeah man (laughs) that's why i think it was like 70 bucks on amazon you know it comes with like a little screen you can see that uh is connected to it so you just charge it and use it and it's it's really peace of mind and it it, honestly it's because i've had a few babies get out before so yeah. I've had some Tristis get out. I've had some Ackies get out. Um, but nothing, I've, I've been able to fix those issues. Um, nothing has gotten out more than those baby Dorianus. And that's the truth. And so it's wow. gotten to the point where if they haven't gotten out in a little bit now, but if they do get out, I almost stop looking for them because at they some appear. point, yeah, at some point, like I, I look in general places and I always look up. I never look down for them because 
every time I find them, they're up something. Um, and that doesn't hold true for everything. I would say like, uh, if an Aki gets loose, I always look down. Um, but th- these Dorianas have taught me they, they like the height. They like to be up and above. Um, so yeah, it's just peace of mind, little tool that, um, I'm going to use going forward in the future, but also I'm there's, I've locked into a few key places that I always worry about the ones that I know if something got in there, that's like moving heaven and earth to get behind or, or yeah. So, so I'm it's trying, better, it's better to be sure about the move, the actual, that right. like, helps you calculate it better. Right. Rather than right. just being, Oh, I'm going to break my back trying to move all this stuff. And then it's not even there. Yep couple cans of some great stuff foam and uh that camera and uh, (laughs) i'm gonna limit their accessibility or at least limit my worry down quite a bit um the other thing i got was this humidifier head thing that you um you can drop into like a five gallon um water jug and so i can just get a regular water jug now fill it up with water and it sits right on top and it's like a room humidifier um, but I can also drop it on like a, a 50 gallon drum water drum, or even one of those 250 gallon agricultural water drums with that opening. It's kind of a universal fit. And so I'm trying to really, um, prepare myself for, you know, these, these different situations. And I'm realizing that some of the stuff I'm not going to use all the time. So in the summer, the, the, um, Oh, what is that thing called? The the portable swamp cooler, basically. It provides plenty of humidity just because of its design. And the the ambient in the late spring into summer is really high. So it traps that humidity pretty well in the room. This one is mainly for the winter. And I'm going to be using it in conjunction with a space heater. And it's to bring the ambient up a little bit when I want to. Now everything's kind of getting cooled, like I said, but bring that ambient up when I want to and to get a little bit more humidity into the room. So, um, yeah, different different fun toys I'm going to be messing with, see what works and what doesn't work, see what I can do better. Um, like we said, the, the heating nest boxes, I think I'm going to hold off for this year and uh, just wait till I get into spring, see how things change. And, and that might just be part of a natural routine where I'm not expecting really any – any kind of uh, breeding or egg laying for a certain yeah. amount of months. Mine's so mine's kind of, I probably set myself up for this, but yeah, my animals are just, they're just going, man. Yeah. So yeah. And some of them are together. Some of them I have to put together as males are rotating around. Um, but uh, yeah, they're showing a lot of interest. Uh, so I'm having mangroves breed right now. Um, the Kyle and are, are currently all separated um except for one pair but they're 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 not doing a whole lot uh, i think that female's still a little bit immature um but um yeah man i'm having things breed right now so i kind of have to just keep everything right <laughs> well, yeah, everything warm just in case and then even then like i have animals that don't ever look grabbing maybe once in a while but they'll just they look a little pudgy, and so I'm, I, I just think, oh, that's just a little fat, or maybe because yeah. I fed them, you know. But no, they're hanging on to it. Like I had this that girl, um, that Kyleen female, that just laid her third clutch it, within, I'd say, five, six months, give or take, right? Maybe less than that. But um, 
they are they they hold themselves so well. They don't mm-hmm. they don't look really pudgy. They don't look too overbearing with like eggs or anything like that. And then when you you know you're going and looking at them, they just they look fine. They don't ever look. And then all of a sudden they're digging and laying. So yeah, I'm always I always have to try to be prepared. Um, and then there's that random like I have a random Kimberly female that is always on the go. And so I'm kind of scared, kind of scared that, um, you know, like, let's say if I didn't have the nesting option available, even when she had infertiles, um, I, she can possibly die or, or hold on to those, you know, but if you're, if people are sure that their animals aren't gravid or there's no breeding going on, um, maybe, you know, maybe you can let the cage chill out a little bit. Uh, for me, I always still have the option, even when they're chilling, it's just, uh, I just let the options drop a lot lower. So into the sixties for the mangroves and then into the fifties for the Kimberleys. Um, and they still have a section of the enclosure that they can get to, that they can lay and nest in. And that's still always 80 degrees. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, man, it's a, it's always a balancing act a little bit with, uh, with some of these, with all these different lizards and species and mm, i have so many females in the house if i can count i have one two three four five six i think like a good 11 females all all different you know um from kimberly's to cole's monitors to different types of mangrove monitors yeah there's quite a few um they're not on the same set schedule at all you know, yeah, I think a couple of them kind of are because of where they are and how I've been working at them. But yeah, there's there's a mangrove female right now that's that just bred. I, I've been posting about it, um, and they're into day three now. Um, now this female, I thought she was already gravid, but I dropped in Jody three four days ago, and it probably took him a good day to get his bearings, um, just in that enclosure. Mm-hmm. But once you know, once he was over that, he was locking up, and there he was doing more than just dominant stuff. He was actually courting and breeding and stuff like that. And she was super receptive. She would just lay there and just arch her tail up. Then yeah. I'm like, wow, okay. And so, trying to understand the whole breeding thing a little better. Better, uh, I, I say this all the time, but uh, people may see a lot of the success, success that I've been having. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like I, I'm just able to prepare and have a lot of precautions set up already, so I'm aware of stuff. And those I know what I'm doing. Right. I honestly know to have the nest bin, but to know when to add a male, man, that part that part's hard. Right. It can go. It can go bad. It can go great. Um, you know, I'm taking my chances every single time that I think okay, this female is, you know, looks really big. Is she gravid? If she's already gravid, throwing a male in with her can just offset her and she'll just get egg bound because she won't lay. Um, but sometimes I've added a male and bam, they're locking up and it's a perfect clutch or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to see. I still can't. I know what I'm trying to look for in the ultrasound 
um, machine that I have, right, to look right. for follicles and stuff. But to hold the lizard, to hold the freaking the 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 one that you're adding um, petroleum jelly to and stuff like that, and then to actually press the buttons, man, you need three sets of hands. <laughs> one set of one set it's of good hands. To know, yeah, one set of hands to hold the lizard and still, and then the other one to actually utilize the probe and, you know, add petroleum jelly back onto it just in case. So, you know, that you need to have a set of hands for that. And then to click at all the buttons to look closer or to go to this screen and that screen, you have to put everything down and then start clicking, which is actually, it actually hinders your process of trying to focus and look at what you're trying to grasp. Um, so yeah, I honestly, I'm having a tough time with the, uh, ultrasound a little bit. I also think I have to get better probes or more so a better, uh, a better probe reader. Cause I have one that's, I think meant for hamsters and stuff, you know, <laughs> I need to get, I need to get one that's like meant for dogs. Yeah. Um, meant for, yeah, meant for good sized dogs or, or small cattle. Um, then that way the, the picture can be better. Cause I, the small probe that I have now is so small. It's like a big Sharpie marker. It's not mm. really much, you know? Yeah. So when you're probably looking at it, it's not really looking at a ton itself. Um, so if I had something a little wider, probably a good three to four inches wide, um, I can then scan the whole belly and then maybe get a better look. Uh, it's still, it's still a lot of training and a lot of um, self, self, self-taught stuff. Yeah. And most people, it's not that they're not willing to share information or something like that. It's that there's not many people doing it this way. I think with snakes, yes. And that's where I'm grasping from some information on. But um, Nerd is the only guys that I know that have been ultrasounding their big monitors and yeah. will shove something to show with measurements of the, of the, um, of the follicles. Um, and so, you know, I think it has to be, I don't know, anywhere from 12 to 18 millimeters or something like that, the follicle itself. Um, in, in the size species that I have, I think in bigger, big like water monitors, the, the, the follicles are like 20 millimeters or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to get, get, a, get, get a better grasp of, of what's going on with with all my stuff it's not not that easy to do with just my pair of hands and lynn lynn isn't always available so right. you know it's like um she's there she's available quite a bit but not all the time this is actually really good stuff to know for anybody that's thinking about getting a uh a ultrasound machi machine to use with their animals let kai jump through the hoops first yeah. and tell you uh <laughs> what you need or, yeah, or it's to add this information before you spend two thousand dollars, let me let me just fail first for you, <laughs> and then we we can we can go to it together. But um, yeah, it's uh it's something it's something worth trying. You know, if you happen to have veterinary training and you happen to be listening to this and you are familiar with that, um, please uh message me and uh, help me out. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> sometimes I don't know what I'm looking at and. And I think uh, I, I see little circular things that are in a row formed, but um, then, you know, the, the picture is lost and I can't get it again. So um, now I'm still, although I was hoping that the ultrasound would make it a lot 
easier for me to read when females are okay to breed um and then i can just drop in a male um i'm still i'd say for the most part going with behavior and the looks of the females right um, that's where you know you've you get the visuals you get behavior um and you're kind of more used to that rather than looking at some ele electronic screen to tell you um not that the the ultrasound is is useless because it, it actually can be useful um i am still going by just behavior so that's the it's the tricky part still of okay am i uh am i able to just throw in the mail and hope for the best um you know or should i should i wait a little bit longer um and sometimes that very first hour um tells me right then and there if they're too rambunctious the female's attacking the male she's kind of tail twitching um it's it's probably not not the best time but um when they're doing the little tongue flicks back and forth very very slight head jerks the female's not twitching her tail back and forth and and then she raises her tail and she kind of just lays there like a slut um <laughs> you know she's uh they're ready and right. so that's uh it's, for me it's a uh, it's a tough one and then i have animals that are just so defensive and so aggressive that anything in their enclosure is a turn off unless unless one of them and it's typically the males that i have are easygoing they're they don't respond in aggression they don't respond yeah. in the defensive and even if the female because i throw 90 percent of the time I'm throwing a male into the female's enclosure that she's already honed in onto. And so if worse come to the worst, the female takes a little nip at the male and he doesn't respond in anger, that usually ends, ends pretty well because the female has asserted herself a little bit, but he hasn't obviously gone in and reciprocated in aggression. So um, those are good signs that you want to have in a male breeder. Um, I also have very, very aggressive males or very defensive males, and just his cage, uh, her into his cage, him into her cage. It's just, it's really tough. And uh, yeah. even when I, even when I think I'm, I'm moving forward, um, I have stuff happen like the other day where another one of my stressful situations where I had a male basically bite the tip of three, not just the very tip, but like three inches off of a female's Oof. tail and um yeah so i was pretty upset about that a little bit but you know i'm just gonna chalk it up as a little loss the female's not dead so we, we obviously have many more chances to go to and and she's kind of already bounced back from that by eating and stuff like that so not too much of a headache and the wound is somewhat someone looking like it's healing without you know any infection or any type of um any type of bad looks on it or at all it looks like it's drying up and healing okay um and i have antibiotics just in case so good stuff yeah pretty pretty stressful breeding time and, <laughs> um... yeah there can be some of that i've noticed um well i'll get into that on another episode but uh you know <laughs> some of the bigger guys the uh what they can do even the little guys can do some serious damage to each other but uh seems like that 
when you take that next step up to the uh, medium-sized monitors, they, you know, it's just yeah. a little more aggressive, or I don't know what it is, a little more mass there just naturally. Um, especially especially the, the wild-caught indica stuff, man. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, them teeth are scary. Man, tree monitor teeth are scary. I you ever yeah. look inside the mouth of some of these things? The um, not that I want to get bit by ackies or even sand monitors, um, but I look at the size of the teeth, and the it seems like the tree monitors have larger teeth than pretty much anything else in the uh, collection besides the Dorianus. Um, yeah. So I haven't been I bit by them yet, but I, I don't, I don't want think to. their teeth need to be um, on point. They need to be sharp. Right. Um, because picture having to catch prey, you know, um, hundreds of feet up. Right. And, you know, not only are your nails equipped to 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 grasp onto the branches and without falling, but, man, you need to be able to grab whatever you're, you're going to eat. And even if it's nipping it at the very tip of its wing and hanging onto it or, you know, some frog or some little lizard that's a very quick – you know, these tree monitors have to be fast. Yeah. Um, their teeth have to be so sharp that, you know, nothing can escape and they can, they can grab onto the, the tiny bit of, of animal that is, as it's fleeing, you know? Um, right. But then so I, I also think, think oh, about, they have to be good. you know, there's the, the size of the teeth, but then I also look at some of the heads of like these, uh, the albigs and to get bit, by something like an adult yeah. black throat monitor. Would, you, know you know what? Their uh, their teeth are designed way differently. Right. So if you were to go into the skull of, of the savannah and the black throats and white throats, the back teeth are kind of like molars. They're, yeah. they're blunt. Like they're crushing not, type of Yeah, force. they're for crushing um, snails and other, I don't know, the word is anthropods or other bugs. Um, right. Hard shell bugs. Yeah. Other invertebrates that are hard shelled, snails, millipedes, things like that. That um, that's what their teeth are kind of designed for. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, it's a. Uh, I would rather get bit by a big black throat than a little tree monitor. Yeah, unless it has enough, you know, pressure to really break yeah. some bones or something. I don't know. Um, not that I'm going to find out anytime soon. But if there's anybody out there, let us know if you've been bit by, uh, you know, some of these larger lizards uh tell us which was worse <laughs> we'd love to hear um uh, all right i think we're just you know getting into the first episode of the year here but anything new you got coming up for 2022 anything you're uh looking to Me? do or yeah uh so i do have kai island i have a, a kai island clutch that is fertile in the incubator um Sorry, it's two different clutches, but one for sure is fertile with veins, probably about three to four months in now. And then one more clutch that is just from the 4th of January. So they've only been in the incubator for a few days. And we'll see what that brings us. Um, the the male to that to the so the second clutch, um, he's only about a year and a half old, uh, coming on, coming on two years in the next few months. Um, but for the most part, I think he's not fertile yet. 
Uh, I think most of my indicus aren't really shooting out much until they're about three years old, both males and females. So like Jody is now three and he wasn't doing much for the first year or two at all. As far as breeding, a ton of breeding, but fertility, certain, almost yeah. zilch. And so um, he wasn't really hooking up. And even if he was breeding a lot and everything flowed, she laid within 20 to 30 days. Um, the eggs weren't so great, but this last year, his eggs, whatever clutch that he landed on basically was fertile. So I'm going to wait for that male, the, the other male a little bit more. That's young and up and coming, but he's already, he's already got his, um, he's got his, he's got his hammy peens into a few different of the females now. And he's kind of used to all of them training and learning and he's actually pretty good with just about all the girls as long as he's cool sometimes he's like lauren will bite the hell out of him right <laughs> at first at first she bites anything until until they've squared squared away their differences um but uh so most of the other females are really easy going and um and yeah man i'm, I'm hoping for 2022 to look more promising for this project um i did have low uh not lauren but i had the baby blue girl, which is another Kyrian female, um, with the with the very very mean mean one, right? And uh, they were very yeah they were for, for pretty short. Um, and when I pulled them out after they were fighting, um, you know, she ended up laying. So I'm hoping that that's from a good breeding. And if not, if it's parthenogenic, that's fine too. I need another pure male to breed and right. then i don't have to worry about rehousing the very very mean one yeah. um even though because you know selling him would be a loss to the project just because of he he's the only one in the country right now that i know of yeah so if i can make another one <clears throat> whether it's through parthenogenic or somewhat of a loose breeding then i'll have another I'll have another male um but uh if not then kind of asked out until i mix mix some more yeah uh, so yeah man it's a it's a little tough one i think uh overall i've done a switch from nest bins to in-floor cage heating because i wanted to give my females more options and somewhat better options it is a lot more work because everything is not just honed in on one bin so i have to dig all of the whole cage all eight foot of the cage rather than just looking for you know um in a in a two by two nest bin which is a lot easier um i still do have nest bins for some of the smaller enclosures or some of the more shallow ones that can't support two foot of soil but for most of my big cages there's in-floor heating now um kimberly's have in-floor heating in uh, and uh in-floor nesting um let's see here and overall just to make sure that i'm keeping up with their their husbandry and stuff like that there's a lot of changes um but all for the better for the most part just trying stuff out um i think i talked to you about the whole the whole female if she doesn't tap into the to, to the in-floor cage heating and nesting then i was just going to take it all out and and right. um and just go back to the nest bin because she's nested in that without a problem before 
Um, so yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like they'll go into the nest bin and bam, be done in a day. But when it's that much volume of soil, they're digging a lot more. Um, now, is it bad? If is it necessarily bad? No, I think it's just they got more to look for. You know, um, it is a headache though, man. I gotta like go in there and dig up like oh, so much soil. Sometimes it's like a like a job in itself. I gotta hire somebody else just to do it. But you know, it's like having to turn it, and, and you're not even yep. done. You know, yep. you gotta turn it, add water to it, turn it some more, get the dry stuff moist, get the moist stuff less wet, and just kind of have it balanced out a little bit. Throw leaves litter back on. And then when I want to go dig, and I don't want to have to transfer the leaves in through all the soil, I kind of sweep the leaves over to a corner, start digging, and then pile everything back and then push push the leaves back over the surface yep. so it is a little bit more work for me but i think the animals are going to be benefiting a little bit more from it rather than just having a nest bin um it is it is tricky though for sure what about <laughs> you man uh, i just can't help but think your your tools uh for monitor keeping are going to start looking more like landscaping tools than they are reptile tools yeah, <laughs> you got your yeah. shovels your rakes your trash bags i, I don't even and... i don't even use any of those i still use my hand and i use yeah. a freaking 24 ounce cup to to scoop out soil and then yeah. even when that's when that's a headache right because obviously six to eight foot of of soil that's you know the volume wise and then right. it's a foot two two foot deep in areas you know, that little cup's not doing a lot. So I, I have a little a little uh, circular vegetable wash bin, right? That, you know, you see the CLE, they sell them at the, at the at like Asian markets. Um, I just take those and I fill it up with a bunch of dirt that I've dug already. Yep. Take that out, shove that into a different bin, and then go and dig up more dirt that I've already dug up. That's obviously eggless, right? And then I shove that into another bin. So it's a lot of transferring yeah boils um just to just to look for eggs and and sometimes i can be i feel like i can be careless i, I mean i'm i try to be gentle but you know you want to push through that soil as fast as you can without damaging eggs so i kind of like right i'm sweeping and then if i see or feel you know the see or feel the eggs then i'll, I'll kind of ease up on my pressure and how fast i'm doing it but oh, i think you get to that last little bit of dirt <laughs> yeah yeah then i'm like scraping the edges like uh, right sometimes you lay against the edge in the corner so i'm gonna just yep. uh run my finger through that and if nothing's there nothing's there and yep. I, i've even I, I told myself sometimes like i think she laid she right. looks like she laid so let's dig it and then there's nothing, and then I'm, and then I tell myself ten minutes later, she fucking laid. Go dig it again, and there's nothing. There's nothing yep. there. Yep, I've done that, man. Especially the walking cages. It's yeah, moving dirt yeah. so carefully one corner, then do the next corner. Then you know, I'm kind of like moving very carefully on my hands and knees, digging in. There. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's it's tough. But for this year, you know, I took on a lot last year uh, in 2021. I wasn't necessarily planning on but kind of came around so um i'm just sticking with it putting in the work uh getting the warehouse dialed in um making sure everybody's good and healthy that's so it's the uh the focus i think will 
be continuing the the species that I've been able to be successful with, um, which is the Australian species I keep. And then um, I've already kind of been going through the motions with the Savannah monitors. So hopefully I'll see some action from them this, this spring. Um, well, nice. So you got a lot of uh, brewing stuff that's just waiting. Right. 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 So I'm hoping to see the hard work pay off uh, with some of these species. Now there's of course raising the Dorianus, seeing kind of what I have um, for, you know, more certain. And then the, the tree monitors. Um, and then still at the top of the list is the peacocks and the Timors really locking them down. And then, you know, I just had a conversation with uh, Kevin about the Similis and trying to also figure those out so the whole complex we're really trying to lock in figure out um yeah I'm john's treating... finally keeping his similars too right the ones that he's got he's finally keeping those which i think is great um i hope he gets some action i i think there might be a few things missing um and i've had some some talks with ryan mcveigh he's now had a couple clutches of peacocks um so there's some interesting stuff he's doing, uh, good conversations. Maybe we'll have him on again this year, talk about some things. But, um, you know, just, yeah, it's putting in the work and seeing things pay off and then adding in things that make my life easier. So I'm still working around some automated stuff that I'm trying to do, stuff that I've kind of talked about in this episode that helped me regulate humidity and temperature to where I want it in the warehouse um, but yeah, if I can, if I am able to do some things from my phone, then I can access the warehouse as far as cameras and controls from, from my cell phone when I'm away or at my regular job, that would be amazing and, uh, really helpful for me. Um, so yeah, trying to lock those things down and, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes, man. I'm, I'm just, you know, looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Pomona uh, again, um, meeting people down there, hanging out and uh having a yeah good time. i'm looking i'm looking forward to hanging out man uh it's been a lot of work lately it's good to do some other stuff i mean it's yeah. still all reptile it's still work and it's still all reptile related but it's good to do something a little bit different. right all right yeah. so i think um that wraps it up we oh um i'm not sure we mentioned it but we had a recorded episode with uh, Matt Cosman uh, reptile revolt and we had to scrap the whole thing and uh lost it so definitely want to get matt back on it was a really good conversation i'm sorry we lost it but i have a really good feeling also that it's going to be another great episode once we uh, get it dialed in and all the kinks worked out with recording issues so looking yeah. forward to that and matt if you're um, listening uh, anytime man we're also looking for new new people to bring on um doesn't have to be beginner essentially um it could be you not um not able to figure something out with the current breeding project you got going on or maybe you just purchased a uh, nile or mangrove or savannah or or even a water monitor or something like that where um there's just not 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 a lot of info you're having luck finding uh we're we're still open to do questionnaires and stuff like that where you're coming on and just asking us and we'll help you out best as we can and then hopefully this will be able to um translate to the other new keeper that are in your shoes so if uh, you're listening to this and you feel like you want to take a little 
little time, good hour, hour and a half in the hot seat and ask some questions and, right. and, um, and help you figure stuff out. I, I do this personally on, you know, on myself already with the mangrove monitors and other species. Um, but yeah, we would like to, to get some, uh, fresh blood, new people in and, uh, get your questions answered. So if you happen to be, uh, in need of uh, any help or anything like that, um, shoot one of us a message and we can get you on. That'd be great. You know, Kai, uh, on that thought, actually, if we kind of put something together, at least part of an episode where uh, even before Pomona, maybe we, we talk about, you know, okay, you're in a position where you impulse bought something. You, you bought that, you know, $60 Nile monitor. Now what? Um, because honestly, it happens. We try to get out in front of it, tell people be prepared do your homework but a lot of times that doesn't happen okay that's the reality and it's probably been the reality for most of us at one point in time and you know 2020 hindsight all that um maybe throwing something together if we're asked we can say hey refer back we just had an episode where we went over some of this stuff here's what's going to up your chances and up your animals chances of you know a good life between both of you so I don't know. We'll talk about that more off camera um, or off the episode, but yeah, I guess uh, to wrap it up, we just want to let you guys know we are brought to you by the Morelia Python radio network and um, everything that you could ever want to know about reptiles um, is in this day and age, probably out there unless it's a new species or something that somebody's just breaking uh, ground on. But there are a lot of, different podcasts and Morelli Python radio has about, I think 10 or 12 different podcasts now covering a wide range of topics. So if you're into something besides monitors or you want to check something out and honestly just get ideas from some other keepers, longtime keepers, whether it's snakes, lizards, turtles, um, they've been through so many different um, experiences that a lot of times you can cross over between the information that's out there and use it for your purposes. But uh to lead you in that direction, go check out MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, also, if there's any questions you have about the different shows, you can reach them at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com for their email. Also, go ahead and give them a follow on um, Instagram, Facebook, and the YouTube channel, all at MPR Network uh, is what you'll type in to find them there and give them a follow and get kind of plugged into all the different information that's out there. Even if you just like one podcast, it won't be long before you're looking into something else or something else piques your interest or um, some of these keepers, they keep a multitude of stuff. So um, yeah, go check them out guys. And again, Kai, where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you should be able to type in my name, K-H-A-I-P-H-A-N to find me on both. But uh, on Instagram, it might be a little bit more tricky. Um it's a big underscore lizard 103 and then you can also find me on youtube under mangrove mecca that's uh, mangrove and then uh, space m-e-c-c-a there i have some videos on their behavioral stuff uh and just funny stuff as well as far as like what i have going on but i i share a lot on my facebook and um, I'm much more responsive on there as well. So, good stuff. And then you? 
Yeah, you can find me at Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram and Origins Reptile on Facebook. And, of course, right here, you can find us both on the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Um, in the future, there might be some other stuff. Uh, might give more insight, maybe do a few walkthroughs. My buddy uh, Riley um, for Riley's Reptiles did kind of a little um, – quick video of the warehouse so if you want to go check that out you can go on to riley's reptiles on youtube and uh, check out some of his videos my mine will be on there with some of my animals so uh maybe a little more of that in 2022 but we'll see how it goes life is busy enough as it is so yeah yeah it's just so busy we want to get on to do these a lot more often but honestly it's it's a it's a quite a few you know um uh hurdles not only do we got normal lives and everything like that we have all the animals um you know we're we're in our collections every day multiple times a day and so um finding time to record on top of everybody else is is a little tricky but hopefully we can get everybody that wants to record with us and then even ourselves in a little bit more this year yep um yeah All right, guys, till next time.